Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. This guest is no different. We have Stephen Levinson today, who won the Tony for the book of Dear Evan Hansen, and now he's back. He wrote the screenplay for the Tick, Tick, Boom movie that just came out with his partnership with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't know if you've read any of the reviews. Maybe some of you have already seen the movie by the time you're listening to this episode, but you have got to go see this movie. In the world of movie adaptations, everything that's coming out now, all of these these pro shots and everything. We are having so much Broadway being brought to our small screens, which is making it accessible to so many people. But I digress. My point being that this sits head and shoulders above the rest. I have got to say, I mean, anything Lynn does seems to turn to gold, kind of. And with this partnership with Steven Levinson, oh my gosh, the film is just amazing. I'm very excited for you to listen to this episode. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Find me on Instagram and Twitter. Connect. Let me know you're listening. And everybody, please enjoy this episode with Steven Levinson. Today's guest is a Tony Award-winning playwright, TV, and screenwriter who famously won his Tony Award for the book of Dear Evan Hansen. He has written for Masters of Sex, Fosse Verdon, and of course, the Dear Evan Hansen movie, and has now added the recently released Tick, Tick, Boom screenplay to his amazing resume. Steven Levinson, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. A fellow Brooklyn resident. We were just Indeed. talking about that. Um, and I think... I mean, that's that's great to bring this back to New York right away because yeah. Tick, Tick, Boom is is all about Stephen Larson. It's it's semi-autobiographical, the original uh, play that he wrote, right? Mm-hmm. And so now this movie that just came out, phenomenal cast, and you've obviously had your hand in it with, uh, of course, creating it, adapting it into a movie form, a long-form movie with yeah. Lynn, Lin-Manuel yes. Miranda, which he's this up-and-coming guy. Keep your eye on yes. him. Yes, <laughs> he's no slouch. So talk to me about about how you got involved with this and how long it it kind of uh, has been circulating or percolating, I guess, in, in your yeah. world. Well, I first heard about it in 2017. Um, I heard that, that Lynn was... was going to direct an adaptation of Tick, Tick, Boom. And I, I mean, like so many people, like almost all the people of, of my generation uh, who to do anything tangentially related to theater, Rent was, you know, such a touchstone for me. Rent was the thing. I saw it when I was 12 years old um, and it just, it changed my life. Um, and it, it, it 
it's, it has stuck with me as one of those those moments that really changed everything. Um, and then I was in Tick Tick Boom as an actor in college. Really? Yes, we did a, two friends um, and I did this tiny little upstairs production of Tick Tick Boom, like with a piano. Um, so I, I knew the show very well, and and obviously I had heard of Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, I had heard a, a little of him, about him, um, and I, I was, I was just, you know, I just was desperate to be involved with this. I, 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 I love this story. I love this score, um, and I felt like there was so much here to be explored. It began tick tick boom as a as a rock monologue, is mm-hmm. what um, John called it, um, and. It, it was really kind of bare bones, obviously. It was just John at a piano with a band behind him. And then David Auburn obviously adapted it in 2001 for the um, three-person version. But it felt like there was something in that original rock monologue that felt so ripe for expanding and pulling apart. And there was something very cinematic about John's vision um, and John's lyrics and his music. It just felt like a natural fit and... You know, the, the thing about Lynn, uh, which sort of goes without saying, is he's such a lover of theater um, and a lover of film. And so it, this was always going to be an homage to theater and an homage to what was what we all love so much about live performance. And yet also, um, I think, a tribute to, to music on film and, and what that can do, um, all of which is a long way of, of saying I was I was just so desperate to be involved with this project um, and so excited to get to, to come on board and, and be part of it. Well, 2017, you said you heard of it and obviously could not have predicted global pandemic and an 18-month Broadway shutdown at that That's point. That's right. And I feel like the timing... Uh, gosh, it... I don't want to want to be happy that we had a global pan- pandemic, right? But oh. if I'm trying to find a silver, pull a silver yeah. lining out of all of this, it's Broadway is returning. I'm not going to say yeah. it's back because we still have a long way to go. Um, Broadway is returning. The This seems to be a brand new dawn because of the shutdown, a brand new dawn of movie musicals and pro shots. Yeah, and, yeah. and I guess... Because you were saying, you heard about this in 2017. Obviously, it takes a couple of years in most cases for these things yes. to come out. We're, from your experience, how did COVID affect things? Because, um, you know, were, were you like, oh, this is not the time to do it? Or because we're shut down, we especially have to do it? Yeah. Well, it really, it came straight smack in the middle of making the movie. We, we started um, pre-production on the movie in 2019, the very end of 2019. And then we were, I think we were 10 days into shooting the film in March, 2020, when uh, we were told that we were going to take a two week break. Two weeks. That was, that was the, you know, it was those early moments with nobody really had any idea what was happening um, or what was going to happen. Um, And it was, it was terrifying, obviously for a lot of reasons, but I, I just remember in those, Subsequent weeks, we started to have, I mean, pretty pretty soon, maybe a month later, we started to have these Zooms to talk about what we were going to do when the movie came back and how it was going to come back. And it all just felt so um, imaginary to me. I just couldn't believe that anything would ever happen again. It just felt so unlikely that we would ever be able to be in the same room with other people doing anything, let alone that this movie would come back in a matter of months. It was sort of like, well, what does that even mean? Um, and yet it 
kept going and, and we kept having more Zoom meetings and then there were schedules and then suddenly we were shooting again um, last fall pre-vaccine um, with incredibly intense uh, safety and health protocols. And the movie took on a new urgency, I would say. Uh, it felt like this movie has always had a weightiness about it, mm -hmm. I think for all of us, because, because the person that created the story isn't here. Yeah. Uh, and we're so aware of that. Um, and so aware of the fact that, that he doesn't get to be a part of making this. And the pandemic really added to that feeling of responsibility and a really kind of practical everyday responsibility of we're on this set together. We have to keep each other healthy. We have to do, uh, you know, be safe and be careful. And how lucky are we to be at work right now? How lucky are we to get to be telling this story? And how lucky are we in the midst, as you're saying, of this Broadway shutdown to get to experience these performances up close um, with actors who aren't wearing masks, even if we're all wearing masks and face shields and uh, the whole nine yards. It, it felt like a tremendous gift to be able to do that. And this story to me is just so life affirming and so creativity affirming. And it is after all the story of making art in the time of a plague, you know, in, in some ways. And so I just couldn't imagine telling a story that felt more vital or more soul nourishing um, than this. And, and just all the way from Lynn down, just this, everyone who was part of this had that uh, gratitude and have that sense of um, just how important this was. And so it's just a beautiful, beautiful place to go to work every day. So while you were working on Tick, Tick, Boom, this movie adaptation, and, and side note, I don't know if you want to touch on this at all, but it, there was no, there's no final draft. There's no final script yeah. of the original, right? But right. you were also working on the Dear Evan Hansen screenplay at the same time? Yeah. Yes. So how is that timing working out? <laughs> Uh, it was really kind of wild or, I mean, it, it was, they were really great projects to work on side by side in a lot of ways because, you know, Dear Evan Hansen is so personal to me. And so, uh, it's very hard for me to separate myself from it. Obviously at this point, it's been a part of my life for so long and this story has been a part of my life for so long. And, um, what was so wonderful about getting to do that was obviously getting to, to, to go back into that story and be part of that world. But what's great about this about tick, tick, boom was that it never felt like my story. It always felt like at, at best, my job was to be a vessel for Jonathan and for the story that he wanted to tell. Um, and that, that was a lovely feeling I have to say as a writer to get to kind of take my ego out of it a bit um, and um, feel like, my job was to, to try to divine as best as I could uh, with the incredible team around me, of course, what, what Jonathan might have wanted. Um, and, and there was no final draft of the script. What we, what we found at the Library of Congress uh, when Lynn and I went were basically a, a bunch of different disparate drafts of uh, the show. Sometimes it was Tick, Tick, Boom. Sometimes it was called Boho Days. Um, and there weren't any dates on the drafts either. Hmm. Um, cause this was before computers really, I mean, it wasn't before computers, but they, it wasn't carefully digitized. So these were just printouts of scripts and we kind of had to, to do our best guesswork of which came first and which came later and talking to people who had seen different versions and been involved in different versions and figuring out, well, why did certain songs get taken out and why did certain songs get put back in? And then 
ultimately making a judgment call as to what, what's going to serve our version of this story best. Um, that was a super fun and exciting and fascinating process. It's the same with Superbia too, which we found multiple drafts of. Superbia is kind of infamous for the fact that, you know, because people will ask me, well, should, shouldn't people do a revival of Superbia? Wouldn't that be amazing? And it's like, which Superbia? I mean, they right. are so different. There are several drafts and they are just radically different from each other. It changed so much over eight years. Um, and that was really fun too, was getting to look at those and trying to figure out, well, what, what changed uh, and, and why possibly was John making the changes that he was making? Right. Does, does that give you more pressure or less to, to, you said you take your ego out of it. So comparing it to Dear Evan Hansen, right? Is that, that is you, or your embodiment, your complete original script, your thoughts and ideas. Is that less pressure or more pl- pressure than trying to pay homage to the wonderful, great Jonathan Larson yeah. and, and assuming what he would have wanted or done? <laughs> I would say it's it's more pressure. The, doing my own story was more pressure, but I think only because with this, I, I, Lynn was obviously, you know, the captain and and my partner from the beginning, and I felt such such confidence and trust in him. And we had um, Julie Larson was involved from the very beginning, and not to mention all of the other people, and it just felt like. Uh, they're not going to let me mess this up. <laughs> um, uh, you know, somebody else might mess it up, but they're not going to let me mess it up. Um, and so um, that, that felt, I, I felt like there was a real safety net there and a real gut check always, especially with Julie Larson, um, who just always felt like the, the best reader and audience member and person who knows this story, obviously better than anyone else. Um, and could just respond so truthfully and so um, generously to us. Um, and so I, I feel like we, we relied on her a lot to, to mm-hmm. make sure that we were going in the right direction. And someone, someone else who helped a lot was um, Jennifer Tepper. Yeah, I was, um, was going to ask if you asked, if you talked to her. She's like oh my an God. encyclopedia. Jen Tepper, was, Jen Tepper knows everything about everything, but particularly Jonathan Larson. She actually, she... Um, she really was like our guide at the Library of Congress. She came with Lynn and me on this trip to DC and she was the one, otherwise it would have taken us multiple days, but she kind of led us to where we needed to go um, and walked us through it and played us songs that we never heard. Um, and then all along the way was reading drafts and giving thoughts. And um, so it was, we just had this incredible brain trust. And then Lynn was very smart and uh, shared early cuts of the film with, John's friends and family and collaborators. And we just got, you know, little bits of wisdom and um, advice along the way that I, I think made me feel like we were always, always moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Priceline. 
were you involved with the casting process? I mean, it's it's gosh, it's you know Andrew Garfield, Alexander Ship, oh. Vanessa Hudgens, Jordan Fisher, Fisher, Robin De Jesus, Judith Light, Bradley Whitford. I mean, the cast is absolutely incredible. These legends yeah. of of theater, and I I want to I want to put Andrew Garfield in there because the dude can actually perform yeah. in a theatrical sense. He's known for no, film, I know. but obviously, like no, I take no credit for the casting, other than saying, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Um, <laughs> but, um, Andrew was such a, you know, Andrew was someone we we did a reading of the script, just like a round table, uh, bare bones read, or, or I guess we did a it was like a week long workshop, but but without anything except for tables and music stands, um, and Andrew was there for that in 2018. This is the first time we'd ever heard it. And Andrew wasn't a singer. He didn't sing. He couldn't sing, according to him. Um, and he had just, he'd finished, um, he'd finished Angels in America the week before. So he was like exhausted and um, like, but this was the only time we could do it or he could do it. I forget exactly why it had to be this week. And from the beginning, he had made it clear that he wasn't going to sing this week, no matter what, because he couldn't sing he would sort of feel it out, but, but like he was not going to sing. And then we watched as like slowly, but surely as the week went on, he started to sing like a line here and a line there. And then by the end, I think he sang all of 3090. And it was like, Oh, this guy can sing. This guy actually can sing. <laughs> um, which Lynn from the beginning was like, I believe in Andrew's talent and his tenacity. And he's going to be able to, learn how to sing like a professional singer, which I don't know, I couldn't do. But uh, it, basically over the next year between that and then like the next series of workshops and, and then into pre-production, Andrew took voice lessons and piano lessons and became a bona fide musical theater performer, wow. I would say. I mean, I showed up on set, I remember, and there, were, there was playback of um, the track um, you know, you, you sort of play it while you're filming. Mm -hmm. And I was like, who's singing this? Like who, I, I couldn't place the singer. It was really great, but I was like, who's singing? I was like, oh, that's Andrew, obviously. And I was like, that's Andrew? <laughs> um, just because obviously. He, he could, like you knew from the beginning that he could carry a tune, which is more than many, or if not most people can do, but his confidence and his power and his athleticism, I mean, all of that, none of that is, you know, stuff that most people can do. And, and he tapped into it. And yeah, it was so fun to watch. That's so much fun. And you, you described the rehearsal process. It was workshopping and, yeah. and multiple things. But that's what you do for a theater production, not for yes. a movie. Well, that was something that Lynn, from the beginning, you know, I think, and he was very clear. He was like, I've never made a movie before, but I've made a lot of musicals. And this is the, how the process has helped me. And so we did a number of workshops, um, I think three, I want to say, um, that we were really like 29 hour readings, you know, of, wow. of a Broadway musical. And um, for me, obviously that was very comfortable and really fun and getting to work with the actors. And um, this movie had so much rehearsal time because of that and so much time to craft it and, and hone it. Um, that, that, that was such a luxury for me as the writer. Um, you never get that opportunity um, in film and TV to actually be in there in the room with actors before the cameras start rolling to get to work on the text and to get to wrestle with it together. And so that was amazing. 
Were you, were you uh, trying to film as sequentially as possible too, or was it more traditional movie style where you would just film everything in a location and move on? Yeah, it was more of that. It was not sequential, unfortunately. It was it was pretty catch as catch can. But but that's I feel like though because you had all the time the prep, the workshops, the rehearsals, everything, it becomes sort of muscle memory to an extent where you can just immediately tap into that part of your brain or that yes. part of access that part of the character because the, you and the cast have been doing this already for yes. for literally months, which that totally. kind of again, rehearsal time for a movie just doesn't happen. No, absolutely. And it allows the actors to show up on set without needing to worry about that stuff. Like they know that the scene We've gone through the scene enough. We've beaten it up enough times together that that what's there really works and is is what we're going to do. And so you just show up, and it's like there are a hundred other variables, but that's not going to be one of them. I love that. And and so you've done a, a couple of projects now, written for TV, and obviously made these screenplays, and now working with Netflix. It just this is the final real question I'll, I'll ask yeah. before we get into the closing questions. But uh, so working with Netflix, I always wonder for somebody who was involved with the production side of life um, before the rise of streaming services, mm. how you've seen sort of um, the access to projects change for you as a creative, but also as a yeah. consumer. Uh, do what is what you write affected by who by a streaming service producing it versus your traditional studio? Well, I would say the amazing thing with Netflix um, is we developed this screenplay before uh, working with Netflix. We we developed it with um, Julio, the producer, um, and Imagine, and kind of wrote the script and then brought it to a number of studios um, to see if if anyone wanted to make it. And Netflix from the beginning. This is a niche film in a lot of ways. It's a small story. It's a story of a musical theater composer trying to get a workshop of his show going. Um, and Netflix from the beginning was all in and was never like, well, how do we make this accessible? Or how do we dilute this? How do we reach more people? How do we... The, the movie business has been dominated for a long time by you know tent poles and blockbusters and opening weekends, and which is all... Great, but it's so incredible that Netflix um, can come along and bring the same resources, if not more resources, and say, you guys make what you want to make. Hmm. Um, and so that, to me, has been the great gift of, of Netflix, has been uh, their, their trust in us as artists. Um, and that was there from the beginning, and there was never a sense of, how do we make this movie something that it isn't? Hmm. I, and I guess... So reading between the lines there with the big budget studios, there's often the execs that come in and say like, mm, let's not do that. Let's well, do it's this hard. Instead. I mean, it's yeah, a really, yeah. it, it's just such a, uh, it's become a more and more difficult business. You know, like it's just so brutal. Um, yeah. And it's so hard to, to get um, visibility. There's so much out there and it's so loud. And um, so I get it. Um, and Netflix has the luxury of not having to deal with that, which is amazing. <laughs> So then prediction, when's TikTok going to start financing big budget movies? That's all oh, I got. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Let's <laughs> hope soon. Br Bridgerton the musical financed by TikTok. Absolutely. Yes. yes. So um, the three closing questions that I ask everybody to wrap up the episodes here. This, the first one is what motivates you? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I think what motivates me is I, I like new challenges and new things I haven't done before and things um, I hate it, but I think fear motivates me a lot, like <laughs> the unknown and, and not being quite sure what I'm doing. 
um, keeps me hungry and keeps me wanting to know more. And, um, uh, yeah, I think that like the, the excitement of learning and the excitement of, of taking on new challenges. Oh, so great. Okay. So the next question is then if you could give advice to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path, what would you say? I would say, you know, the thing, the thing that was most important to me and the the thing that I'm really grateful for was um, that I had the opportunity to, to see a lot of things and read a lot of things. And that was an incredible privilege. Um, and I was very lucky to be able to do that, to spend when I, when I first got to New York, I temped for a long time. Um, I struggled to pay rent like everybody else. And I, I took every free ticket I could get, you know, I, I read every play that I could get my hands on. And I think seeing as much as you can, absorbing as much as you can, and really trying to just be open to as much as you can, um, is such an amazing thing, especially when you're young and not totally formed and just to take in as much as you can. Um, like that, that for me was everything was just getting to, to kind of develop my taste really. And, and what I loved and, and find my place in it and worry. I think I worried a lot at the beginning of what is my place in all of this and, and, and how am I going to, to be heard and how I'm going to get my voice out and, maybe I would have told myself to worry less about that and more about, uh, why don't you slow down and take in the world and, and see, see what you love, you know, find what you love and follow that. Oh, I love that. Last question. Then if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times oh as God. you want, what would you see? That is such a great question. Um, I mean, I have like 20 answers, but I'll try to come up with one of them. I might say West Side Story, actually, like of a musical. Like I, maybe because it was something that was it, so resonant for me when I was a kid. Like I love, I used to want to rent that movie all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like loved, um, I loved that score and that story. And um, yeah, I wonder if that's the one because it feels like it has everything. Yeah. Um, but then I, I have like a hundred other answers that are uh, that are in my head too. Uh, my like, answer to that, uh, yes. Sorry, my answer to that is rent. Actually, mm. which that's is very, a pretty good one too. Apropos to this conversation, because rent is another show that like is uh, it's so heavy with so much. It has so much in it, so dense, and yet um, has so much joy and heart and light. So yeah, I like that answer. It's it's great because it was one of the ones for me when I look back that it got me into theater, which is why I want to see it over and over again. It's part of the nostalgic factor that I love yeah. so much about it. And it changed the game similar to what Hamilton did for this generation. Absolutely. Right. So now it's all, you know, with Lynn creating Hamilton. Now Lynn is doing Tick, Tick, Boom, which was is about Jonathan Larson who wrote Rent. It's all come oh, yeah. full circle Absolutely. and the world, the universe can now go to bed happily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. All right, so everybody, please check the show notes for the link on where to watch the movie on Netflix. And where can we find you on social media? I'm not really on social media, to be honest. Good um, for you. Yes, I know. I'm a little bit healthier because of it. <laughs> yes. Great, great. God bless all of you. Enjoy. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for this. This has been an incredible, incredibly fun chat. Awesome. Yes, for me too. Thank you. Make the world a little colorful
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.